He told me if I waited long enough, you'd get water. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, amen. Well, that's good preaching. It was good. I've already been ministered to this morning, and that's, uh, that was a blessing. It's, uh, it is, it's kind of a, uh, there's kind of a dearth in the land, you know. We got a lot of good, good preaching. Is this right? Um, there's a lot of good guys, good churches. Um, statements of faith are right, stances are right, the, the words on the, the sign out front's right, you know. But the Spirit of God is nowhere near the place. And I like to be where I really, really enjoyed that music this morning. Amen. It's all about Him. Amen. And uh, it's not about Him, just go home. I met him as a boy at eight years old and uh, brought to church by the, at, at, in a bus ministry in um, Landmark Baptist Temple down in Cincinnati. And uh, didn't grow much, didn't have a Christian home. We had the opposite, like brother was talking about. It was just, you know, the 60s crowd. And I grew up with the drinking and the rock and roll and just, you know, that, all that stuff. And then um, got bitter. Got bitter against God himself. I mean, I, was, I had an issue with him. And I blamed him for all this stuff. And I made the dumbest mis mistake I'd ever made. Dumbest decision as a 14-year-old kid. That if this is the way you're going to treat me, I'm not serving you anymore. And I had, you know, I, I knew some things. I had seen the Lord answer prayer. I, but I was just bitter. And uh, had the worst seven years of my life. <laughs> it was bad. And uh, on February the 18th, 1989... I heard uh, Dr. Ruckman was one of the few preachers that I had any respect for. He just didn't talk like a car salesman. Amen. You know, he just talked like a real man, and I just really resonated with me. And, uh, you know, because we were just the kind of guys as I am who I am, and if you don't like it, you know, well, we'd salute you or something. You know, just that kind of a deal. Brother, he knows what that whole life's about. And, um, but Dr. Ruckman was just different, and God had been beating on me for a year. I mean, he just... He was getting me to a place where um, I had nowhere to look but up at him. And uh, so anyway, I, I didn't, wasn't sure if I lost my salvation. And I heard you could lose it, heard you couldn't get it back, and all that stuff. And I remember uh, getting right, bawling my eyes out, going to church and all that stuff, and then uh, went home and prayed, and then all of a sudden the devil showed up. And, and that was kind of a, a, one of those moments where... I realized that I can't do this if I don't know that I'm saved. Amen. I mean, really know it. Amen. Not have somebody tell me I'm saved. I mean, I got to know from him in here, yeah. right? right? Here and here that he accepts me. Amen. Amen. I, had to, I, had, I told him, I said, I can't do this unless I know that I have forgiveness of sins. This thing, that thing, you know, all that stuff. And I went to church the next day, and uh, man, he opened up to John chapter 3, and he said that almost the very first words out of his mouth were, it is in this passage that we can know that we're saved. Amen. And I was like, this is for me. Now, my theology and my experience at times get a little bit weird because uh, I realized I struggled for about a year. When was I really saved? Did you ever... By the way, just how many of you, how many people here have been saved less than five years? Would you raise your hand? 
Okay, so we got first generation, okay, a few, all right, so less than five years. How many people have been saved less than 10 years? Okay, well, that's a good sign. I've been in churches where they say, you know, how about 20 years? Anybody been saved? All right. Uh, how many been saved like more than 30 years? Okay, wow. All right. How many of you were, were raised in a Christian home? You know, kind of, sort of, <laughs> you know, uh, with any kind of a profession, you know. How many of you, your grandparents were saved? Well, there you go. So you got fourth generation Christians here. You got third generation, second generation. You got some first generation. That's good. It's a good mix. You know, it's a sad thing whenever all you have in a church is fourth generation Christians. Amen. Amen. That's a sad thing to watch. It's a very, you know... And it is, it's entertaining to watch a church of nothing but first-generation Christians. <laughs> you know? They don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, that's kind of pioneer work, you know, where you just kind of start with the very, very beginning, and that's kind of what our lives have been like. Is, um... So anyway, I was that kind of a Christian, and, and the Lord just, um, I always struggled with when did I get saved. And then I went to church that morning struggling and he got down in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You know, just that whole principle of look and live. And that was the first time in my life that I experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And man, I never got over it. I've tried all kinds of substances, but boy, that really, really just, my life has never been the same. You know, never been the same. And so I appreciate being here this morning. I would thank the Lord. Amen. Thank God for the church. Thank God for some good men. I know that uh, Brother Mike knows what things are about. You know, he's had a little bit of time on that other side. I've got some time to talk to, uh, you know, Brother Spurgeon about my brother. If you can pray about him or pray for him, please. He's, who he's, he's a case. He may end up here, so you guys better pray for him. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but he was, uh, we didn't, we weren't raised together. Um, he was not saved, but he was in the, he was an army ranger. He was a sniper. I guess he did, I think, 10 years he was in there. And then he did over 50-something missions, successful missions in Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and um, the reason why I got involved with social media was I was trying to find my dad. And then I tried to find my half-sister to try to find my dad, who was in prison. I found him down in um, Houston, Texas. He was in prison. He had killed a man. And uh, so I found my sister. You can pray for her. She's over here in South Lebanon, and she's been in and out of penitentiaries and uh, heroin and all that kind of stuff. So. But I found him through her, and I found him through my half-brother who was an absolute basket case with PTSD and alcoholism, and he had fled the country and went down to Peru, and he's been down there now for over 12 years, going on 13 years, and been trying to work with him, trying to get him saved. And he was just, oh, my goodness, you can't talk five minutes. It's just every other word is an F-bomb and blasphemy, and it's just really, really hard. Amen? <laughs> but long story short, he got saved a year ago. Amen. You know, just... And he, it, he really got it, too. I mean, he, he just this thing, big bro, big bro, you know, I know you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, but, man, I was down on my knees in the rain in December in Peru, 
in the mud. And he's like, God, I just stayed down there and I prayed and I poured out my heart. And he said, I was freezing cold and shivering. And he said, you won't believe this, but he hugged me, man. He hugged me. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) Amen. And then to slowly, slowly work with him and see he's not the same guy that he was a year ago. Now, he's got a long way to go. And he's all tatted up, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And he'd been involved in the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> Brother Veach took him to a Jewish restaurant. He's got, <laughs> he's got that tattoo Aryan thing right there. I'm like, oh, man. So anyway, you should pray for him. Um, I never did think he would come back to the States. I've been trying to get him back to the States for, I don't know, going on five years. And uh, every time we send him money, and then he'll drink it up. You know, send him more money, get him out of one place because he was going to die down there. And then he'd get to some other place and then he'd just, he was a basket case. And um, man, he finally got on that plane. They sent me a video confirmation, the police did. He was on the tarmac. I mean, mean, he had to get kicked out of the country, you know, and they put, the police escorted him onto the plane. And then the, uh, and then as soon as he landed in Fort Lauderdale, but I just couldn't believe it, you know. There he is, and the only possession that he had besides the change of clothes on his back was his Bible. Got him in touch with a missionary down there in Peru, and man, he was just great. His name is Marcus Lindsay, and he's not really our stripe, I don't think, but man, he's done a great job with my brother. And uh, so, yeah, just a real blessing. And so he's, uh, he went from Florida, then up to New York, like last week. It was the first time that all the kids are home, you know, and I've got this whole busy week with Mama, you know, and she's got all her chicks in the home during Christmas time, which is the first time in, I don't know, 15 years or whatever. And then I get a call. I'm really, really banking on that my brother is going to be locked up for at least, you know, a couple of months to a year or two. And I think, I've got time to try to find a place for him or whatever. And then I got a call last week. Just picked up my son from the airport, and we got all this stuff to do. And then I get a call, hey, big bro. That's what he calls me, big bro. I mean, he's a sniper and a ranger, and he's, I don't know, just kind of crazy. But he always calls me big bro. He's like, big bro, you won't believe what happened. I appeared before the judge, and they dropped all the charges. I'm a free man, he said. And I was like, oh. Oh, what am I going to do with you now? Because he told me, he said, bro, I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. I'm not going to listen to anybody. What you say, I'm going to do. But it's kind of like, it's on me. (laughs) You know? And I called Brother Veach, and man, what a minister. What a blessing Brother Veach has been up there. And that guy, um, met him at the jail and got him fixed up and everything. So so anyway, he's in um, the VA. He's in in a... going through the detox and going through the treatment with PTSD, but there's been talk about him coming to this area, which I'm going to try to discourage if I can, but if he shows up, well, you guys are going to have to learn to grow, (laughs) and I'll I'll be here with you as much as I can. I know Brother Dave knows what to do with guys like that. I talked to him for about an hour the other day, and I thought, wow, this guy just in a couple of words, he knows exactly the deal. I mean, he knows. And that was a, that was a blessing.
So now, yeah, it looks like we're going to be family a little bit, right? We're going to be family a little bit. I remember, Brother Mike, um, I guess it was at least 15 years ago. And that little nudge that the Holy Spirit gives you, that same dose that I got with assurance of salvation, every once in a while, all I can say is just like the Holy Spirit of God gives you a nudge, right? And you just, He brings people into your life. And I showed up here when you first bought this building and you were getting, you guess, I guess you graduated from your garage to this building and you could just feel the buzz. You could just feel that the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord's walking around this place. And I told my wife, I said, God's going to do something here. You could tell. You can tell whenever it's dead as it can be. And then as I was here, I was like, the Lord's doing something. You know, people, God brings people into your life and you have these divine appointments, they say. And then you are, you're going to serve the Lord together, amen, and you're kind of, your destiny is a little bit fixed. And I knew back then, I told my wife, I mean, I've thought that maybe this means I need to join this church. I've prayed about that. This is like, this church is probably on my short list of like three churches. But I'm not moving. I tried to do it once. And I'm like, everything blew up, and I'm not moving <laughs> until God tells me. But as far as Chris Rue goes, there's uh, about three, there's like five churches that I'd be absolutely uh, content and able to submit to the leadership and the pastor of a church. And uh, this church is certainly on the short list. Amen. But I just knew. And so I'm thankful to be here this morning. Open up your Bible to John chapter 17. I'll stop rambling. I've got a lot of preaching to do i got to take my son to the uh, airport right after the meeting, so I'm sorry we won't be able to stay here, at least uh, Sam and I. But I had no idea so many years ago, brother, that, you know, my sons will be. So Ben found his bride here, and then we, I don't know if you guys know or not, but uh, I guess Sam and Susanna are now engaged. Am I allowed to announce that, or...? I mean, it's too late now, <laughs> but I mean, it's already been all over social media, and st- I, right? <laughs> Whatever. So, that's a blessing. Uh, John chapter 17, is. I always try to find out if I can understand, as best as I can understand, a pastor's um, desire or the pastor's vision from the Lord for his... Uh, for his congregation in the area of missions or whatever, I try to, uh, to be a blessing and a help to pastors. That's what I try to do. And I'd like to use this, um, this passage this morning. We're going to be here in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 in verse uh, 1. Then these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Praise the Lord for that. And this is life eternal. Here's the definition. That they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You know why God gave you eternal life? It's going to take eternity to know him. There's no end. No end. 
I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just the, um, the sense of your presence. And uh, Lord, it has just been so good to be ministered to already, to hear the preaching, the teaching. Lord, the sweet spirit of the musicians and their voices. And Lord, just um, sung from hearts that are sincere. And uh, Lord, it's all been about you. It's always about you, Lord, and it's, uh, it's exactly where it needs to be. And we, Lord, we just pray that this morning you would have your way in our minds, in our hearts, in our wills. And Lord, that um, Jesus Christ would have the preeminence and that, Lord, you would help us to, um, Lord, as the song says, you tune our hearts, Lord. We, we need that. We need that adjustment. We need to hear from you this morning, but we need our hearts to be in a condition that we can hear you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, hide me behind the cross. Please use me for your honor, for your glory. And, uh, Lord, help me to say the things you'd have me to say. There's a lot in, these, in, this, um, in this manuscript, a lot to, um, Lord, just to say and to try to transfer. But, Lord, um, I pray that you would help only those things that uh, your people need this morning, that they would be said, and, Lord, you'd be pleased and that, Lord, you would do something here that would, um, Lord, just count for eternity and be pleasing in your sight. And we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So John chapter 17, these are some of the, my fo- most favorite passages in all the Bible. Uh, you really get to uh, tune in to the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was... Yes, he was all God, but he was also all man. Amen. Amen. And as a man, he has just uh, finished the the uh, Passover. And during the Passover, he instituted something new. He instituted the Lord's Supper. And during that Lord's Supper, he also gave them an example. Uh, and he washed their feet and he did all of that. And he gave, of course, the uh, the the permission to leave to Judas who left the congregation at that time, and he, um, you know, and then he went out and did what he did. But then he gave them a new commandment. And then the Bible says that, of course, he prays here. They sang a hymn, and then from here he goes to Gethsemane. And so these are like the last words. It's almost to a degree, uh, these words, all the words of God are important, but these words, to me, encapsulate uh, it's kind of like getting towards the end of your life, right? It's like, the, it's like being a missionary and investing your entire life into people and into God's work. And you're wondering at times, is this, you know, things going to pan out or not, amen? Are they really ever going to get it? I heard a missionary one time say one of the hardest jobs for a missionary is to transfer your vision and burden to the people, Okay, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Humanly, it is absolutely impossible, but I've seen it. I've seen it to where they call that the estrafieta. What is that? that the baton, where you're running and you're running your entire life for all that you're worth, 
And then what? You've got the baton. You've got the gospel truth. You've got that, and it's time to hand it off. Right? And it's like, okay, there has to be. You ever see in the Olympics where they didn't make the connection on time? Right? There, you, you know, you're not going to win the game. You're not going to win the race. But they have to, uh, you have to pass it off to the next generation. You've got to pass it off to the next man. And uh, some of them get it, and some of them don't. And this, this war in Ukraine has just really been kind of like an acid test where you've seen congregations where missionaries have poured their lives and their families have made sacrifices and those churches that have been in existence for 10, 20, and even 30 years no longer exist. They're gone. The war changed everything. Missionaries, I talk, I, talk, you know, I know about one guy and he said, yeah, he talked to his people on like a Wednesday and they said, yeah, pastor, we're behind you. We're going to be here with you during this war. And they said, come Friday, the first chance that they heard that, hey, there's an open, uh, you know, you can just go to America if you want to. They didn't even tell the pastor. He said, come Friday. He thought that Sunday would come around. He'd have a congregation and they're all in America. Yeah. Try that. <laughs> And uh, you got to pass it on. And transferring it, the vision and, tra and transferring the burden is, man, God's got to do it. And if I understand your pastor's heart, uh, that's what he wants. He wants you young people. I already heard him say it. He wants you to have your stories. Amen. We've, already gotten our, we've already gotten our bruises and our bumps and our... Amen. <laughs> Invalids. <laughs> we got our stuff, our scars. It's time for you to get yours. Amen. This is a multi-generational thing. This isn't about hired professionals, trained professionals at all. You find God on your knees, boy, you're, you're light years ahead of most of everybody. <laughs> Amen. And so the Lord here, I want you to, just want you to appreciate this timing and this, what the Lord is saying. This is the Lord's prayer. He's getting ready to go to Calvary. He's getting ready to go back to the Father. And he says some things in this passage that I hope that you'll get. Now, I've got, a, I got all of the bones and some of the sinew and muscles on this message, and I just pray that something will get through. But I want to show you some things, just point some things out in this passage. And notice in verse 4 where he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And it, the interesting thing here is that, you know, he hadn't yet gone to Calvary. He hasn't yet risen from the dead. He said in one passage, you know, the Son of Man came to, to seek and to save that which is lost. He said he, the reason why he came was to give his life a ransom for many, right? That's what he said. But here he's already saying, I've finished the work. And so he's not talking about his work for all of mankind in the atonement on the cross. He's talking about a work that was always on his mind. A work that he was trying to do in the lives of his disciples. It's something that a pastor understands perfectly. There's never a day when a pastor isn't thinking about you. Amen? 
the people in the church with the problems or the people in the church that are the problems. <laughs> the people in the church that are hurting. The people in the church that just need some help, you know. The pastor, you're always on his mind. Just like we're always on our Lord Jesus Christ's mind. He's our high priest and he's interceding for us. And so he's talking here about a work that he was trying to finish in the lives of his disciples so that he can pass on the baton so they can take the gospel and go around the, to the ends of the world. Notice that he said, I have finished. Past tense. And in his prayer, he goes over and tells the things that he has accomplished. Look at verse 6. Past tense. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, whenever he, notice, past tense, have manifested. Now, I'm sure they knew how to properly pronounce. He didn't say, I have pronounced your name. Like, not like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Russellites, right? You got to say Jehovah 50 million times in a prayer. You ever prayed with Jehovah's Witnesses in Russian? <laughs> I've gone hours and hours and hours with Jehovah's Witnesses in Russian, and I mean, good night. Well, anyway, that's a different thing. But manifested. That is, this is more like the, you know, the commandment, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He's not, not talking about speaking his name. Yeah, you should speak his name reverently, but you're taking on his name. When you take the name Christian, right in that name is Christ. Amen? You're taking his name. It's like a wife. She takes the name of her husband. You have the family name now on you. Make sure you live up to it. Amen? So when Jesus Christ came, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious crowd of their day had totally blinded people to the true nature of God. They didn't know Him. He told them, John chapter 8, I believe, you don't know Him. But He said, but I know Him. Amen? So part of this discipleship that Christ is talking about is you have to show people who God is. Amen? Just not things about God, but you have to know Him personally. Look at verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Again, past tense. So first thing is people have to know God. The second thing about discipleship is that you have to know His words. Look at verse 14. I have given them thy word. Now, if you don't have a King James Bible, you're here in America, you speak English, you need a King James Bible. That's right. I know some people think I'm a little bit radical. I don't tell this at all churches where I go. But we have a, our ministry over in Ukraine. We came down to the point where, okay, what is going to be the final authority in our ministry in Ukraine? You ever think about that? <laughs> and you know what the final authority is in our ministry and in our people? And they understand it. They don't have a problem with it. The English King James Bible. Now, you can drop my support if you want. But we got two things in our statement of faith in our ministry over in Ukraine. In the Russian language, and one of them is the authority of the English King James Bible. You do what you want to with it. Our church still exists. A lot of others have ceased to exist. They thought I was a what are they, extreme. 
Another thing we had in ours is that we believe in the literal fulfillment of the promises of God to the nation of Israel. We don't believe in this replacement theology, and I think that God did something for us. Amen? They need God's words, not opinions. Amen? Not what I think, but they need His words. And part of discipleship is that, number one, you need to get to know God. That's number one. And then number two, then it's like, Paul, who art thou, Lord? You're not ready to answer the second question, which is, what wilt thou have me to do until you can answer the first question? Who art thou? Amen? Amen? So the question this morning is, do you know him? And do you know his words? There are some things that about God's will that are general for everybody. And then it gets kind of specific. Look at verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. All right? So the first stage of discipleship is you need to know the Lord. Second is you need to get acquainted with his word and his words. Right? And then after... You ask that question here, what wilt thou have me to do? And let me tell you something. If you have a heart to hear, he'll tell you what he wants you to do. Amen. I'll tell you this, he knows your address. He knows your phone number. Amen. He knows your social security number, and he can get your attention anytime he wants to. Amen. Amen. So the Lord, whenever he said, I have finished the work, he says in the past tense, I have manifested thy name, I have given unto them thy words, and I have sent them into the world. And there we go, the world. Then in verse 20, something changes. He says, neither pray I for these alone, that is the 11, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he prayed for you. And he prayed for me that night. If you are really interested in God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? We're getting ready to read it. He'll reveal it to you if you want it. Amen. You can have as much of God as you want. Yep. Amen. Amen? The problem is our desires and our wants. But as we read this passage... The Lord, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, he taught us. And so when you look at the words of Jesus Christ, some things begin to float to the top like cream, you know, like that cream. We get milk delivered to our house every day, and it's still warm right from the cow. Not homogenized, not pasteurized, and you let it sit there just long enough, we get about that much cream. My wife will take that cream, and she makes fresh butter, you wonder how I got fat. I was 170 pounds when I met her, <laughs> believe it or not. I was 135 pounds when I got right with the Lord. 135 pounds, man. I was just strung out. Then I got married to a gal from Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I got up this morning and ate a piece of apple pie, and I was like, Naomi, you got to send a piece of this with Sam on that plane. He's got to have a little taste of mom and home, amen, <laughs> as he goes back. But anyway, it rises to the top like that uh, cream. And the Lord noticed this in verse 5. 
And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the word is world, world. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the what? World. Look at verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. He's not praying for the world, but wow, the world sure is on his mind. He knows that there's an order, there's, a, there's, there's uh, priorities here. Look at verse uh, 11, and now I am no more in the what? The world, but these are in the what? The world. He sure is talking a lot about the world. Look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world. See that? The world. Verse 13. And now I come to thee and these uh, things I speak in the world. Look at verse uh, 14. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Look at verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the what? The world, look at verse 16, they are not of the what? The world, even as I am not of the world. Are you interested in what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying? Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I think that the world is very much on his heart. All eight and a half, what, billion, or uh, we're seven and a half, we're about eight billion now. Look at verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the what? That the world may what? Believe that thou hast sent me. That's what he wants them to know. That's what the world needs. That's why we're still here and we're not in the third heaven right now. Amen, because the world needs to know that he came, what he did, and what he's going to do. He's very interested in the world. Look at verse uh, 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the what? The world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou gavest me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the, there it is again, the world. And then here's the problem in verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. That's the problem. That's why he came. That's why he's praying. He's invested all these years of his life into his disciples. And he's like, Father, I really want them to get it. And they got it. And boy, did they ever do the work. Colossians chapter 1 says that what? It talks about the gospel. It talks about every creature had heard the gospel. Boy, they did the job. Are we doing the job? There are people in Dayton, Ohio, that really have never heard a clear-cut explanation and presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to die and go to hell. Just as much as that Buddhist, just as much as that Muslim down there in Turkey. Amen. So, as we read this passage here, there's just three things I'm going to mention. And I'm going to try to be brief about it as much as I can. And there's three things that really float to the top in his prayer for his people, for the church. 
And I hope that you've got a heart to hear. I hope that you've got a mind that's already fixed, that you, you know, just take everything, every imagination and every thought, amen, it needs to be brought down to the, amen, to the, uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And so, as we read this passage, the first thing that really stands out is, uh, well, look at verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be what? One. One. I mean, there's so much that he could have prayed about, right? You ever think about what the Lord could have prayed about? But this is his prayer preserved for us in 2020. 23, he could have prayed about, oh, I hope that they have, you know, youth conferences. Oh, I hope they have dynamic music, right? He could have said, I hope that they have, you know, this and that and the other, big love offerings. I hope that they're great givers. He didn't say any of that. He just said, you know what? I want them to be one as we are. Give that to a brighter. <laughs> Let them think about that a little bit. Look at verse 21. That they all may be, what? One, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be, what? One in us. And that unity that needs to exist amongst God's people is key in order to do the work of evangelism that the world may believe. That oneness that needs to be there. Verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be what? One, even as we are one. Look at verse 23. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one. And so the word one occurs six times while the idea of unity occurs seven times in these verses. And, uh, and I just like to say, you know, church, Pastor gave me some liberty, and I'm not going to be the typical missionary this morning. I got my typical missionary messages, my typical, you know, kind of song and dance that we do. I just kind of endure it while I'm here in the States. Sometimes I'm really able to prepare and, and pray, and, and find, sometimes I'm just kind of trying to get through the meeting. I mean, to be honest, amen? I'm just trying to check another church off so I can get back to the field, amen, get back to what God called us to do. But I understand something. I truly do understand that we're all in this together. I mean, God has shown me enough practically and theologically that uh, we are in the body of Christ. And, you know, if we're one, then, boy, God can do a lot. And when we're divided, oh, my goodness, what a mess. How many missionary letters have I received over the years of, dear missionary, we're sorry that we have to drop your support because of, you know, and most of the time it has to deal with they just weren't on the same page. Unity. You know, um, there needs to be unity in doctrine. Amen. There's places that we draw the lines doctrinally on that statement of faith. But um, there has to be this unity of purpose. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the church, local churches are kind of like Christians. It takes about 10 years for a Christian to really kind of, especially a minister, to kind of find his niche, Right? I don't know how long it took you, past, uh, brother, uh, brother Dave, to um, Brother Spurgeon, how, how many years it took you to say, okay, this is my niche. I'm in evangelism. 
I don't know how many years. It probably was about that before you really got settled into it. If you're like anybody else. Um, and I've noticed the same thing is true of churches. This is a very young church, actually. Got a lot of mature Christians in it. But if you'll just stay with God as a church, stay with God individually, but also collectively. All right? Now, God did something supernatural on that day of Pentecost because they were all in one place and in one what? Accord. And then what were they doing? They were praying. You cannot replace the power of prayer with any program that's out there. That's just where you're going to find it. That's where you're going to find the fire. That's where you're going to find the revelation. That's where you're going to find the open doors. It's all prayer. And if you're not praying as a church, forget it. All the talent, all the... Even, you could even manipulate people into getting some type of response and some kind of results. I grew up in a church at Landmark where it was all kind of a trickle down. It was, you know, we saw ministers come and go all the time. Oh, we need a Sunday school. Oh, we need a youth pastor. Uh, 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 there's nobody in the church mature enough, so we'll hire one out. We'll kind of subcontract that job out to somebody, and we'll hire a professional. And I watched these guys come, and I watched them go, and I watched them come and lead off, you know, like 40 families and start another church over here. And I mean, cause all kinds of church splits, and then they'll try to hire this guy and try to hire this, you know, music director, and it was always this trickle-down kind of stuff. And that's what I was kind of used to in, in, in this whole idea of delegation, right? That's a good thing. You need to learn to delegate, right? Amen. I went to the mission field, and I had all of the vision, enough vision for 10 men and 10 lifetimes. I reached about 10 years, and I thought, wow, Delegating this, and you do that, and you do this, and we got all these ministries. But you know something? There's something about the work of God in the heart of a man where God Himself gives you a ministry. You come to the terms where you know that, look, the Holy Spirit of God saved you, right? Are you saved this morning? Well, if you're saved and the Holy Spirit of God is in you, and he gave you some talents and some gifts, if the scripture's true, right? Amen. Now, when's the last time you said, God, what do you want me to do? What are my talents? What are my gifts? How can I be a blessing to this church? Too many people, I love what Brother uh, Spurgeon said this morning. He said, too many people are punching the clock. You're coming to church. If that's all your Christianity is... Man, you're going to have a rude awakening at the judgment seat of Christ. This is something that should encapsulate your entire life. Everything should be around Him and His people and the church. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that starts on your knees. It starts nowhere else. It's you and God and the book on your knees. Boy, if you'll, what a journey. 
what a trip, man. <laughs> so we used to say, man, that's a, that was a trip. Wow, what a trip. I wouldn't give anything for it. But I know this, I know that usually a church will find it's kind of a niche with whether it's music or education, evangelism, whether it's missions. But you have to understand something as a church that it's all about Jesus Christ. And it's all about getting the message of the gospel out there. You know why they call the salt sea the dead sea? You know why they say that is? All it does is receive. All it does, it, there's no outlets. There's no channeling water through it. Just the, it comes there and it stops there. And you got so many Christians where, yeah, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. But man, you heard the best preaching, but you're not doing anything with it. Man, God could use you if you just surrender. If you just get on the right page that, man, what can I do? Amen. Unity of purpose. I hope that um, you will find the will of God for your life and that to go one step further, that you'll finish it. Like Christ said, I finished the work, like the Apostle Paul said, right? I finished my course. I really don't think we're done yet. I'm holding on. I am, buddy, I am waiting. My wife is like, we hear about the bombs are flying, and she's like, Chris, you say the word, and my bags will be packed, and we'll be on that plane. Thank God for a good wife. <laughs> She's not afraid to go into a war zone. I don't want to take my... I'm like, no, sweetheart, settle down. I'm not taking my kids into a war zone. You know, I'm not going to do that. I might go in. She's like, can I go with you? I'm like, no, you can't. Amen. <laughs> but, uh, man, I hope you find a God's will for your life. I hope that God uses you. Amen. Hope you get some rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. I hope you get your stories. But like I said, it all begins with that unity of purpose. And it's all about Him. Amen. Not about you. Look at verse 26. The last verse. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. The next thing that really kind of floats to the top, and I'll just have to just touch on it, is love among the people of God. Again, he could have said many, many things and prayed many, many things in this prayer. But he's getting ready to send these 11 men, eventually 12, into the world with the gospel as ministers, as missionaries, as the apostles. And so he's praying for them, and he says, you know what, they really, one thing that they need, oh, that they may be one. That there be no divisions. Did you know that the pearl, you know, the church is likened unto a pearl? They got all these gemstones, emeralds, and rubies, and diamonds, and sapphires, and all these things. You know, they're all enhanced by being cut on and divided. You know that? Their value goes up. They look more beautiful. But did you know that the pearl, once you divide that, it lost its luster, it lost its value, it lost its beauty. Why? Because God's people need to be one. On the same page. In the same church. Behind the pastor saying, yes, we're going in this direction. What can I do? Amen. Where do you want me? You want me on my knees praying every day? 
We had people for years in our ministry in Ukraine before they went to work on their way to the, to the train station. They would stop off and pray at our building for a half hour at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning. All night prayer meetings. You ever try one of those? Amen. Prayer. Unity. Being one. Around God's work. Look at, um, and then we have to have that love for one another. You know, to, to have that oneness, you're going to have to have this love. And it's so easy when you first get saved. You notice that? Did you notice that, Brother Spurgeon? Man, I got right with the Lord, and I stood in the back of Mount Hope Baptist Church, and man, that was not my crowd. You know, my crowd was down at Annie's and never on Sunday, and over here at the Coliseum in Dayton. I mean, I've spent so many times in concerts in Dayton, you know, and on the highway back and forth on 75 throwing beer bottles, you know, just crazy stuff. That was my messed up crowd. And boy, I stood in the back of that church and I looked at those people and I'm telling you what, I thought they glowed. They were clean. They were so clean. And I'm telling you what, they just had something about them. And I said, God, these are my people now. Best people on the planet. Amen. Change crowds like that. Boy, my old crowd, they dropped me. Love you, man. Love you. Boy, they dropped me. <laughs> Start preaching to them a little bit. Wow. But then uh, it was so easy to love God's people. And then the knives came out. My wife and I were like, yeah, we're ready to go back. And we were in a meeting not long ago, ripped our hearts out. And uh, the Lord showed us, you're not done healing. You know, you're not ready like you think you are. The grief the anguish, the pain of betrayal. Disappointment is one thing, right, with God's people. Frustration is another thing I can get over with pretty good. But part of Christianity is well, love. And that's where you want a church that you can give your heart to. And when you put your heart out there, you know, with all of your thoughts and your desires, your, your wants, your dreams, even some of the secrets of your past, right? You put all that out there. This is who I was. Now look at what the Lord's done. I kind of like what he's done with the place. Amen? Yeah. You put it all out there, and then you see God's people take a knife and just... Boy, you know, I, I, a friend of mine told me, he said, if you want to know him, then you're going to have your Judas. Phew, I've had more than one, you know. And boy, did we ever find out that, uh, man, we were disappointed, grieved, but boy, the hurt. And it almost makes you want to quit loving like you used to. Giving what you used to give, right? That's what it's designed to do. You know that, right? That's right. It's designed to stop you, Amen. to frustrate you, to overwhelm you to the point where you say, I'm not trying anymore. But you've got to get to the point again 
where you say, you know what? Like he said, you got a cross to bear, right? Part of that cross is betrayal. And then what you have to do is go to the cross with Christ. When you're up there on that cross, you get to the point where you say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It's not about me. It's about him. You've got to love people. You've got to forgive people. And you've got to go on. And if this church, just like any other church, is ever going to grow, you're going to have to learn how to get along with each other. Amen? If you're going to go to the next level, you know, you're going to have to learn to put up with each other, forgive each other, endure, amen, <laughs> and uh, allow people to fail. Allow them to fall, right? And get up and go on. Hey, I don't know a whole lot that goes on around here. I know a couple of things. I walked in here today, I, I saw something, and I thought, well, good, they got it right. <laughs> Amen? I don't know the backstory. I don't need to know the backstory. I don't know who did right, who did wrong, whatever. I thought, I, I think I know some, a few things about what was done that was not done right. But you know something? You know, churches would do well to understand that you have a certain thing called jurisdiction, Right? Most problems in churches are justice problems. It's something isn't right, and somebody thinks they're the judge to make it right. <laughs> and you don't have jurisdiction. You got no power to make it right. It's right there. He's right there. And he follows him. And if it's not your business, stay out of it. Amen. It's not on you. Whoa, how free, that just absolutely is liberating. Ladies and men, that you don't have to fix all the problems in the church. You know, I go to, um, you know, we, we talk to people among, around the United States about PBI and Bible Baptist. And I tell them, my three years at Bible Baptist was some of the best years of my Christian life. And they tell me, oh, did you know that this was going on and this was going on and this brother this and that sister that and they were doing this and they were doing that. And I'm like, no, I had no, no clue. Hallelujah. Amen. I was having a good time. You know what we did for fun? We went and preached on the street for fun when it wasn't required. Amen. But so we wouldn't get kicked out of school. We went to, you know, Mobile, Fort Walton Beach. What did we do? Well, we had all night prayer meetings when it wasn't required for what? For fun. You know Mike Wheeler, he's in the school there. Boy, we spent a lot of time in prayer meetings. You know what we did? We just said, you know what? Boy, this prayer thing's really wow. This is great. Let's just pray before every church service for an hour. And then while everybody else is eating ice cream and playing their games or whatever they're doing, let's go to the church and let's pray every Friday night while everybody's out playing. Amen? And that was fun. And we had a blast. Mike Wheeler tells me, boy, I sure do miss those days. Amen. Those are some of those stories that we're talking about. But you've got to have love for God's people. You've got to understand the love of God in verse. Well, there's so much. I've got to finish. Look at verse 20. 
Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. Wow. Glorification. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. There's that perfect man. When that which is perfect is come, you know what that is? First Corinthians 13, that's Christian maturity. That's what that is. You need to grow up. Be a perfect. Not a, not a perfect in a sense of sinless, because you're going to struggle with that every day of your life. But, you know, you, you, ought to be, you ought to have some victory and some growth in your Christian life. Amen? You don't have to struggle with this. I mean, if you're still struggling with marijuana, uh, you've got a ways to go. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> You're still struggling with some of these things. Well, you know, then, then after you put the marijuana down and the tobacco and the alcohol, well, then you got to deal with gossip and pride. Ooh, pride, arrogance. That, that's the hard stuff. Amen. That they may be made perfect. So you get to grow and become a more complete Christian with trust and grow in faith and grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom, making the right decisions. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You know, um, Brother Bayano was hitting it pretty good about, you know, pastors can be really good about just heaping guilt on God's people. Right? You know what I'm, amen? You ever get tired of just feeling guilty all the time? I mean, that's... that's one of my favorite things about heaven is to be in a place where it's going to be sinless. Where there's no more going to be sin in me. I find it, I find sometimes it's paralyzing. Totally paralyzing. Because I am so wrong. Amen? My flesh, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But the Bible says that that old man needs to be crucified and he needs to be buried with Christ. And you know what I think that happens to a lot of God's people? Yeah, you do need to, um, you do need to examine yourself. You do need to have a good, healthy look at yourself. And you need to constantly keep your eyes on Jesus Christ at the same time. He is the ideal man. And we're supposed to grow in grace to become like him. We have made evangelism the sum total of the Christian experience. You know what I'm saying? It's like everything in the church today is all about getting the gospel out. Amen. We need to do that. But we have, we labor and we give and we sacrificially put money in the plate and we print the literature. And we rent the halls, and what do we do? We go out in the highways and the, and the hedges, and then we go out and we preach the gospel to them. We cast the net, we give the invitation, come on and receive Christ, and we bow with people, and oh, what a blessing it is to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Amen. And you watch them grow. But you know what? That's just it, is so many churches are counting heads. They're counting how many souls did you get saved in your prayer letter, they're counting, they're counting souls, amen? 
as if that's the sum total. And you know what? The Apostle Paul said this. He said, my little children in whom I travail. You know what travail is, ladies? That's that. Right? It's like my brother. Five years. Is he ever going to be born again? Putting up with the F-bombs and the blasphemy. He's like, tell your other dad, I said, thank you for making oatmeal so cheap. You know, that kind of stuff. And I just like want to wring his little neck, ranger or not. <laughs> Amen. You don't insult my father like that. Amen? And he would just, stuff like that. What is that? That's travail. I've seen my wife do this many a time. (laughs) When is this kid ever going to come? Right? And finally he's born. And everybody's like, Woo! Hallelujah, he's born. And then I tell him, every one of my children I have read the book of John to them or read John chapter 3 and it said, marvel not that ye must be born again. Amen. Every one of them, that's the first verse of scripture they've ever heard from their dad. Ye must be born again. Amen. But what have we done? We've made evangelism the sum total. We labor, we pray, we rejoice, and we should But then we're like, oh, my job's done. And we go home. And Paul said, my little children, he already led them to Christ, of whom I travail in birth again, again. Now, until Christ be formed in you. That's the next step. That's where you need to get to, Christian. Are you there? Are you more like Christ today than you were last year? Do you know His will for your life today like you did? Have you left it? Do you know it? Are you involved in it? Is your consuming uh, drive the one thing that keeps you going, the reason why you breathe air, the reason why you still come to church? Is it, you know, the motivating force to me is the judgment seat of Christ? You know how many times I wanted to quit in Ukraine? I'm like, God, I just don't want to pay anymore. I do not want this. And you know what? I always come back to, I, I can't. I just can't. I do not want to look at him in those eyes of fire after all he did for me and say I quit. Amen? you got to keep on going. I have no more time. And I have so many stories to tell. I wanted to end this off with talking about the love of God. And that once you make that decision, and you sell out, you get on your knees and you sell out to Him, and then you'll see, once you, you truly begin to live for him and not yourself, not just a little bit of him and a little bit of you. And, oh, I was to serve the Lord along the way of, you know, my desire for my life. No, whenever you hand him all the keys, 
when you put everything on the altar, your dreams, your plans, all of it. Man, you find a guy that begins to get sold out and wants to take the gospel out there, boy, you'll see some things happen. Answered prayer like, wow, God did that. They asked me last night, so what was the highlight of your of 2022 for you? And I thought about it, and I got a lot of things I could say, wow, you know. But I remember so many times standing in the train station trying to go to church because I didn't have a car. Two-hour trip out to where I'd preach, get on those electric trains in the cold and the disease and the pigs and the goats and all this stuff. And I'd look across this, just a sea of people. And I'd say, God, how am I going to reach them? I'm nobody. How can I get the gospel to them? I'd stand up on the corner of Diribasabskaya, and it kind of dips down. It's where the central park is, and you can just look on both sides. And in the summertime, both sides of the street, it's like Times Square. It's just endless sea of people. And I'd be like, God, how? You sent me here. How do I reach these people with the gospel? And I got so many answers to prayer. And I, could, I wanted to tell you just how God can get you exactly where he wants you. You know, that's just an amazing thing to me where God sent me to Krasnodar, Russia. And to find out that we drove into this city of 600,000 people. At the request of a man I led to Christ down in Pensacola. He's like, would you take this to my mom, to my friends? And I, we drove in there at like 2 o'clock in the morning, parked the car, only to find out we parked right in front of his house. What is that? That's a story. Leaving Bulgaria, getting on a boat and entering Ukraine for the first time. As far as I know, we were the first ones ever there. And this woman begging us to go, begging us, to, I'm sorry, to come to Ukraine and I mean, long story short, we went from a boat to a taxi, from a taxi to a tram, from a tram to a train, from a train to a bus, a day's traveling where no American had ever been before, and we're the last people on the bus, and everybody's just like, keep going, and there's like one young man left, and he just happened to be the son of the woman that invited us that day. Just praying and asking God for $837, and God answering my prayer and gave me 838 Prayed to ask God for 500 and he gave me 500 the next day. Pacing the floor and saying, God, would you please send the rain? So these people, the Bible says, Paul said, that he preached so that their, that their faith would stand in the what? The power of God Amen. and not the wisdom of men. I say, these people have been under atheism all these years. They need to know that there is a God in heaven and he hears their prayers in the big things and in the little things. And we were praying for rain. And man, there's like there was no cloud in the sky. And I walked into the pulpit and I began to read the Bible. And right at that very moment, God sent the thunder. He sent the lightning. He sent the rain. Amen. 
And as you see, that's a little thing. No, it's not a little thing. They came up to me afterwards and said, you know what, we were praying if the Seventh-day Adventists are right or the Jehovah's Witnesses are right or the Orthodox Church, if they're right. And they said, you know what? God didn't send the rain on Saturday. He didn't send it at 12 o'clock when the priest is doing the Mass. He didn't send the rain whenever these Pentecostals are over here. He sent the rain the very minute that you began to read. And he said it. He said, the minute you began to read that book. Stories. We got lots of them. I want you to have your stories. Seeing God change your plans like he changed ours. I've seen him change ours enough. That I stood out there so many times and said, God, how do I want to reach him? How do we reach him? And then God sent a war. Right several days after the war, can you preach in Russian? Yes, sir, I can. Would you help us make a video? Yes, sir, we'd love to. Put out a video, and then God took that video, and the last stats that we got, 30 million Thirty million have heard the gospel. They said 16, 17 million listened to the whole thing all the way through. Amen? Wow. They asked me, what's your highlight? I said, man, that's pretty good. Amen. That's pretty good highlight to be used of the Lord. I hope you get your own stories. I hope that you'll find the will of God for your life. I hope you get to know Christ. And that he'll be formed in you. That you'll get on board with this church. That you'll have that one purpose. And that you'll just kind of just be in that one, you know, that groove. Giving your hearts one to another and enjoying with all. I mean, just be, may the work of God be the thrill of your life. Amen. And the purpose of your life. Preacher, would you please come? Thank you for your time. Thank you very much.